so much going on. Uh, Maddie Autry's uh, shower yesterday, and that was so well. Just such a cozy atmosphere. I could see that out in the foyer. I, you know, it was it was the women, but I kind of made my way through, and then asked my wife to make me a little plate. <laughs> which she did, and then Mike Hudgens was like, why didn't I get one? Because <laughs> he was like, uh, you know, he was, he, we were up here getting ready for Dolores' reception and preparing that in the gym, and I just think about all that's going on and all the good and all the transition and all the change and lots of emotions, and we were together this morning praying in, the, uh, in room 112A where the elders were to, uh, are, are together praying on Sunday morning. And, and it, was, it was very clear, and certainly clear even based on Steve's sermon last week. And, and as someone said, the elephant in the room, we, there's a lot of change going on <laughs> in the life of the congregation. And we can point to a lot of different things. We can point to people, and we can point to this and that. And so it's, uh, it's like, okay, let's, uh, we aren't having to... Uh, uh, tune in and pay attention in a little different way to, uh, to one another and what we've already been called to this morning, to God's faithfulness and, our, and putting our confidence in Him. And I heard many kind of uh, at least nodding your head or shaking your head in agreement with Paul's message here in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, and that was from, Rachel read that from the message and I love this section of Scripture, and uh, particularly I think it's one that centered my life all the way back to even before I became a Christian and before I was baptized, I remember receiving a note from my grandmother. And uh, in that note, I was a freshman at college, you know, and wandering off doing all sorts of things, and, uh, and she had written a handwritten note uh, to me, and one of the lines was, Remember Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And isn't that something that all these years later, it's been a while. It's been a while. I was 18. I still remember that. Still remember her letter. What an impression that made. What, a t what timing in my life and how I still need Grandma, to write that again, even today. In this beautiful section of Scripture, Paul is telling the Corinthians, and I suspect that he writes this because he himself, as the passage indicates, was feeling discouraged and upended, and things hadn't been going as planned. And it seemed that every city he went into to share the gospel, there were, there were people that stood against it. And there were just a lot of obstinate folks, particularly from uh, Jewish Judaizers that, that uh, just didn't want to have anything to do with this new covenant, Betty, as Betty has already shared with us. And, and so Paul... He, then he goes into Athens, and he's in this Greek city, in this very sophisticated place. He tries to present this message about Jesus dying on a cross and then being raised again, and, and they're like, what are you talking about? 
This isn't really, this just isn't registering. For very few people followed him in Athens. You can read the story in Acts 17. So I suspect when he writes this in 1 Corinthians, he, he's, he's recognizing I've come to the limits of myself. And I got to go back to the center, to the main thing. And the main thing. And that, and as the the CEV version says, not with fancy words. Not with a show of human wisdom. But the main thing, he says, NIV, resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if we follow Paul's lead, guess what? church, even in the midst of change, the pressure is off. Your faith or your church or your leadership or your preacher are not evaluated on their performances, but are led by God's gospel and God's Word. And this is one of the reasons that I am a big fan of our tradition. I can be critical of our tradition in a lot of ways, but a big fan of our tradition of sharing in the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. Sometimes it feels awkward. It feels like it's sort of stuck in there and it sort of ruins the flow. Sometimes we don't know quite what to say when we get up here and we try to share this as a congregation. But the Lord's Supper at the end of the day is the main thing. It is the anchor. It is the bullseye. It focuses our minds and our hearts again on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we go and keep in line with the passage we've just read, this is God's sheer genius. Now today, as Betty's already pointed out, and as Jeremy, we've sung and worshiped together, it's Palm Sunday, and our be begins our journey with Jesus from Jerusalem to Golgotha's cross to Easter's triumph. And, and I, I, hope, I hope that you can appreciate, and maybe we can just slow down for just a second to appreciate Holy Week, if, we don't, if you don't mind calling it that, to settle, to focus, to reread this week the story of the cross that we just outlined in brief in this passage from 1 Corinthians 2. But, but, but if you notice and you read in your Gospels, uh, we've been going through, for instance, the Gospel of Luke. And from Luke 19, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, is then about the resurrection, but we've got about five chapters that focus on this week out of, the, out of the whole of the gospel. If you think of it from John's gospel, which Jeremy read at the beginning of worship and Dave had simultaneously used this morning in our prayer time where you use John's gospel of the Palm Sunday or Jesus riding on the donkey. John's gospel, I believe, has 21 chapters, and this starts in John chapter 12. So think of it. 
literally half of the gospel story in the gospel of John is about this holy week leading up to the Savior going to the cross and then being raised. And I appreciate Betty's brilliant connections to the old and the new and the prophecies of Jesus and the donkey and the colt, which I never saw. That was a very subtle one in there, that the whole of the gospel, of course, builds on the story of the cross, but of the idea of the old covenant and the new covenant being linked through the donkey and the colt that had never been ridden. Yet what I notice in my own heart is that again and again, I lose focus on the gospel, on the main thing. It's puzzling how it happens and how it happens so quickly. And it needs to be recovered and it needs to be reclaimed. D.A. Carson said it, and I'm kind of paraphrasing a, a quote by him, but he said something to this to this line, in this line, one generation encounters the gospel. The next generation, I want you to think about this, assumes the gospel. The next generation loses the gospel. And the next generation must recover it. And I wonder if we look around and think about the families, our lives, those of you who have converted, and then maybe sometimes we watch our kids and we're just puzzled in terms of how it was either assumed or lost. And it's confusing. So I ask, where are you and where is your family in all of that? More than 500 years ago, after the Catholic Church, in great degree, lost the gospel. Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the church door in Wittenberg. And Thesis 62, I'm sure you're very familiar with that one, says this, the right and true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. I love this. He understood it wasn't about the building or the pope or the bishops or the budget or the members or the programs or the good old days. It's not about the staff. It's not about the worship. It's not about the kids program or the song service or the song selection. And guess what? It's not about the preaching. <laughs> Paul said it. Rachel read it. Luther described it. It's about the true treasure in Jesus Christ. We cannot wear this out. We cannot talk about it too much. We cannot 
savor it even fully. We cannot give it too much play nor trust it enough. And I'm saying this is not so much an obligation but an invitation, church, to see and to know the love of God. It's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to meaning. It's an invitation to grace. It is an invitation to hope. Viewed by many in the Jewish world as a stumbling block, viewed by many of the Greek or the pagan world as foolishness, resistance from one group and utterly ridiculous by the other, has anything changed? What was true then is only more true today, it seems to me. However, my premise is this, if we treasure the only true treasure, God will lead us. So we read the story of Jesus' journey to the cross again and reflect on it this week and treasure what God treasures. Now, last Sunday, our shepherd, Steve Walker, helped us recognize and reflect on the fact that we are at a church at this time feeling some ups and downs. And I don't know that the change has really stopped since COVID started. And it's been hard to regain our footing and our focus and our momentum as a congregation. And then, and, and, and then Steve shared and he called us to share the gospel of God. And he reminded us of Canary Dickerson and Mary Essen and their partnership of the gospel and their, their sharing and their sharing of God. And Carrie, I don't know if you were here last week, but you got mentioned of sharing your faith at this early, in those, some of those early years. And I'd like to build upon Steve's thoughts then for this, with, for just a moment. And I'd like to wed a couple things together. And one thing is this treasuring the gospel of God with a vision retreat that the elders and staff had late last spring, where with our mission in one hand and our, our welcoming others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and our seven values in the other, we outlined some priorities during the retreat. And, and then I put together a class, and we started the class in the fall that ran through this past January, and the class was called, Where Do We Go From Here? And uh, some good things came out of the class, and yet we're still asking the question in some other ways. And I'm happy to report that we are addressing some of these priorities, but we have much more to do. And so we want to widen that out, so I want to share again that overall those overall priorities with you, tying together our focus on the gospel and the retreat and the priorities. You with me? Okay. I want to put it this way, number one. Because of the treasure of the gospel, we commit to reaching the next generation. So we've been talking for some time about our youth. And we know the absence of uh, some other demographics within the church, some young couples. 
and we know that we need to strengthen that. We know that we want to we keep, keep it going with our young people. So we hired Jeremiah last spring, and then in early fall, we hired Nathan. And for the first time, we've had two full-time staff people in these roles. Okay, we maybe we had a youth minister before, but we were part-time with the children. So, so we've kind of, we took a big step, and it was a big commitment from the leadership. And, and these young men are doing a great job, and they're regularly meeting with the elders, and, they're, and, 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 the, and the shepherds are shepherding them, and they're being mentored, and, and we're trying to encourage the communication between a young staff and our shepherds. I just want you to know that, church. That that's happening on a regular basis. And we've given these young men an ample budget to spend, okay? And we've given them freedom to do their work and to make changes. And if you know Jeremiah, he's making changes left and right. <laughs> and they're good. It's good. He's thoughtful about those. And, and, and Nathan has turned an entire room that was a classroom into a cafe, if you've looked at that just off of the gym. Okay, go for it. Well, here's the interesting rub, though, in the midst of all of that, is that we've, in the last three years, graduated more than 20 teens. Isn't that amazing? So, so 20, that's 20, 20 that were here are not here because they've gone on. And you think about that as a challenge as a congregation on, like, where do you find another 20? And how do we raise up more and widen it out? Lots of challenges before us, but this is a priority. And so we're trying to work on that. And uh, it's one of the reasons that on the fifth Sunday of the quarter, we will invite the next, it'll be more of a next-gen intergenerational ministry. We're trying to, to make that. It's one of the reasons we have our teens involved in the greeters ministry. It's why we're trying to get them up here to read Scripture and to do communion thoughts and, and, and involve the teens in every aspect of the life of the church, not because they're future leaders, but because they're leaders now. And so a few weeks ago, coming out of this, these priorities and where do we go from here and a commitment to the next generation, we started a college class. Somebody asked me this morning, how's that going? Well, it's, 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 we're being faithful, okay? And uh, we've got a great group, Ron Oreck and Jason Vincent and, and Melanie and Kaz, that were, happened to be in my class upstairs and have, have an interest in this and are coming together and are committed to making this work and are praying and are bringing donuts and are taking kids to lunch. And are, and are teaching the class. And so I, we just need all hands on deck here as we invite the college to be a part of this, maybe uh, uh, so that that can continue to strengthen and continue to grow. And I, didn't, I need to mention in there Adam Shelley because he's doing a great, great work with this and has the most influence of all within that college group. And to the college kids that are here this morning, I just want to say you're important. Thank you. <laughs> You're important to us and to the future of this congregation. We don't want that to be, you, to be, feel like you're on the peripheral, but to be in the center of who we are and what we're doing as a church. 
So we're asking ourselves, do, do the ministries of this church reflect that intergenerational involvement? Does it support the next generation? And so we'll do that with a Christmas program or a daddy-daughter date night or a Nerf night and even our plans for Easter Sunday for next, next week is after worship we have plans for families and kids' games and as Jeremiah would say, an extravaganza. okay? To get, so get families here, extend some invitations, invite them for next Sunday. We desire as a church, intergenerationally, to reach the next generation with the story of the cross, with the treasure of the gospel. Let me move on. Number two, because of the treasure of the gospel, we commit to strengthening the body of Christ. And we know that the toll that COVID took upon the body in so many ways. It's just, in some ways, very striking. Others have said, well, it exposed our weaknesses. Yes, I think both are true. I think it was COVID and it was an exposure of the weaknesses that were there. And so some still do not feel comfortable returning. And in fact, when Carson Reed, Mary Ellen's uh, son, who is the, at the Cyber Institute at, at ACU and, a, and is consulting with churches all over the country who are going through much the same thing that we are, he, I want you to hear this because this, is, this, is, this was really difficult to hear actually for me. But he said that the, and I hope I'm not misquoting, but the days of the Metropolitan Church are basically over. He said there'll be a few exceptions to that in megachurches who operate by a different set of rules. But for most part, churches are now more localizing to their own community. And this is a very interesting sociological uh, uh, factor. I didn't know if it was gas prices or COVID or the way we've thought about things post-COVID or all of these, but we have lost more than a dozen, maybe 15 families coming out of COVID. And it is very interesting that they are primarily St. Charles County, West County, we're in Illinois, we're in Jefferson County, you see what I'm saying? The metropolitan, I know some of you are here and you still drive great distances, and believe me, I appreciate it, but there has been a shift in the way people think about driving into or the community that they're a part of. So how do we strengthen the body? There's not one way to do that. There's many, many ways, and so we got a fellowship team, and Carrie Ferguson as I don't know how, it was just my sheer influence over Carrie's life that I manipulated her into that. So thank you, Carrie, for doing that so graciously and serving in that, and Peggy, and, and Eric, and, and Todd Mayberry, and I know I'm probably forgetting some others, but have been working on this fellowship idea. So they've been planning the church retreat. That's a great, great illustration, April 21 through 23. I, we had the family bowling a couple weeks ago. Hey, that was a lot of fun, and 80 people showed up to bowl. Okay, what a great uh, type of outing. We've got the circle of friends in the widow's uh, ministry that is, uh, that is at work. We've got congregational lunches that we've planned as a staff. They're going to be on the fifth Sunday, so the next one of those will be at the end of April. Uh, we're going to 
start back up, renew, and this will be led by Steve Autry, Faith in Action. Uh, hoping the month of May we'll, get, we'll kind of kick that off. In other words, there's a lot of ways to strengthen the body, but I want you to be thinking about this and saying, where am I in this story? And how can I go to work in terms of helping strengthen the, in the life of the church? What is our source of fellowship? It is sharing the treasure of the gospel. That's what we have in common. There's a lot of things we don't have in common, but we have that. Number three, because of the treasure of the gospel, we lovingly engage our community. This is the third priority. Aren't these good? Okay, the next generation, strengthening the body and engaging our community. And now this, this one of, of, of the three, this one, I need, I need the creative, faithful, prophetic. I need, we need all the gifts of the body to be working and helping with this one. Because I think it's the hardest of the three for lots of reasons, but, and there's a, probably a whole series around that. But, but, but again, it's the first and fun, maybe fundamental challenge here is that the, the, the congregation is turning over. And because of that, we have everything from transferring to another church to transferring out to going to college to people attending less. I just saw a statistic the other day that said that here's where most churches in America are now. This is based on thousands of churches, and we are right, I think, right in the middle of this statistic. And it's just, it's just hard to know how to minister. It says that basically the church is going to turn over by one-third every year. Now, if you think about that, if there are 100 members and next year there are 32 or 33 less, or if there are 200 members, then there are 64 or 66 less, unless there is an outreach, there is a commitment, there is a welcoming, there is a touching the lives of other people and inviting them to be a part of what God is doing. You can see where this goes very quickly based on the numbers. I'll show you the math. It's pretty, pretty strange when you look at it and think of it that way. But just you say, well, where is everybody? There's a lot of transition and we need to be continuing to engage the community. Yet, here is the irony that if the days of the metropolitan church are, are, is over, then only a relatively small percentages of our families actually live in the neighborhood. So that makes it doubly difficult. So we've we got to think about how to creatively engage our community and be a shining light around this building. But I will say this. 90% of anybody who comes are going to come based on your invitation. Okay, so it's personal. And in fact, it's so personal, I'm going to hand out these flyers while I'm, before I finish. And then I'm going to wrap this up. But uh, Steve, can I get some help with those? And these are, just in case you didn't get an invitation, Matthew, can I get you to do this? And... Uh, Jeremy, maybe figure that out on this side. Thanks. Uh, and these are the invitations to our Easter service. We've got a week 
and uh, just make, take one or two of those and, and think about who you can invite this week to be a part of this assembly in the next week. There are a lot of things that are already going on in the congregation where we have this engagement. We've got uh, the food pantry, of course, is, our, uh, is a beautiful illustration. We've used it in, in, at times past, but I wanted to just tell you a quick story. Uh, Brenda Mickey, Brenda Mickey, Brenda and Jerry, so Brenda's new, relatively new to the congregation. She just started volunteering in the food pantry, I think, for the first time last month. And uh, the very first time that she's there, in comes a family, an Hispanic family, that actually was representing six Hispanic families. And Brenda is a Spanish teacher. And I just think, how, and that was just so rewarding for her and so fitting in terms of being able to minister to this family in our community through the gifts that are going on in the food pantry. Well, we got a lot of other ways we're using the building. Pickleball, it keeps taking off. It's, it's like we've got more pickleball than Bible studies at this point, you know, so let's see what we can do about that. You know, we were like pickleball four times a week here now. And, and we, haven't, we have yet to really invite the community to play pickleball. So how many people could use our building? I'm serious. Could that be a pickleball ministry? Well, Jeremy established a relationship with the Larsh community right across the street. They are developmentally disabled adults. They've been using our building on a monthly basis grateful for that connection. And I think there's tremendous opportunities to both expand that partnership and be an encouragement to that, that community. What a ministry they have. How can we continue to uh, be a part of that would be a great question to ask, and particularly given they're right here in the neighborhood, like 85 yards away. Okay, just catty corner to us here. We talked about in our class upstairs, adopting a school in the neighborhood. And I'd love to see that happen. Not quite sure how to go about that myself. It's one that we've now discussed in a, several different uh, ways and think that maybe Hudson School would be the most logical right up the street here. And several of our families are either had kids go to Hudson or are right in the neighborhood. How can we cement that connection so that what I'm talking about is an engagement, an engagement with our community that's right around this building? Needs our very best energy and our very best prayers that we can build these footbridges into the community to share the treasure. Put that question up, how might we lovingly, because of the treasure we have, how might we more fully love and engage our surrounding community? I want some feedback from you on those, on that. Let me close reminding us that the gospel is the treasure we are at best weak containers, vessels, dispensers 
to pour this treasure out to the world. And some of you have ideas, and we need to hear your ideas. And some are ready to work. And I need you to step forward. And some of you are being massively underutilized because the leadership hasn't quite known how to connect with you or hasn't asked you in the right way to take advantage of your giftedness. Will you let me know? I invite you to treasure the cross and to join in serving with these visionary priorities.